0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight show. Guys, we made it to Friday. It is Friday, June 12th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I hope you guys are ready to end the week on a high note here. I have a couple of great interviews for you today, and we're going to have our fabulous Friday fitness sir, Jake Dean Taylor, in just a couple of minutes. So welcome to the show. Uh, Last day of the week, it's day five of five. We'll be here all next week with brand new shows, Monday through Friday, starting every night at six o'clock Pacific, nine o'clock Eastern time. I wish I could end this on a better note, but quite frankly, I'm pissed off, people. A lot of stuff happening right now, and uh, we're going to go into it for a little bit. Before we bring on Jake for his fitness minute. But as you know, it is a big, solemn anniversary in our LGBTQ community. It was four years ago today that the massacre at Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida happened. We lost 49 lives in um, our LGBT, it was the biggest mass shooting in the country at the time until Vegas took over. Um, Four years ago. God, I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, feels like yesterday. I remember I did a, sh- a live show right afterwards to discuss all the feels on it. You can go back to the Leftist Trade right archives. I just had friends call in and we just talked about it for an hour. It was an amazing uh, conversation. So, yeah, four years ago today, we lost 49 people in Pulse nightclub, which kind of – I hope is not a tensor to times ahead. I mean, we were hoping that the school shooting in Florida would said Parkland would stop gun violence. We hope Pulse, with 49 people dead, would stop violence. And now we're in Black Lives Matter week number three and a half. There's going to be some huge protests this weekend. I know in L.A. it's going to be a huge Black Lives Matter combined with a lot of the Pride people. So please be safe, all my friends out in L.A. Um, And I think it's going to be happening either this weekend or a couple other weekends throughout the country. I know uh, Columbus is doing theirs in two weeks. So uh, lots of stuff going on for that. But if we didn't learn our lesson in Pulse and Parkland with Guns, and we've been dealing with systemic racism for so long, this is going to take a sustained fight, and we all have to be in this. And I am proud, as I said this week, to lower my voice and amplify others. I was so happy to have on Nate Hunt on Monday to talk about his experience and kick off the week. And tonight in the second hour, I am more than excited to have uh, Debbie Holiday on she is a great ally to our community she's a singer she's a songwriter uh, she's been uh, an actress and she is going to lend another voice to the Black Lives Matter movement and why it's important so I tried to end the week um, and begin the week on a somber note and let's just hope um, something happens, that we need to keep this a sustained effort until we get some equality, our uh, Black and people of color's brother and sisters. Also today, um, on the anniversary of Pulse, the Trump administration finalized its rule. This has been coming for a while now. They've been telescoping it for us. They finalized the rule to take non-discrimination protections away from LGBTQ people in healthcare and health insurance. The rule puts especially transgender people in an even difficult, more difficult and dangerous situation. The rule used to define sex discrimination based on whether someone is male or female. Obama reversed that and made it include sexual orientation and gender identity, And the Trump administration today in the middle of Pride Month on the four year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub attacks reversed that and took those protections away for sexual orientation and gender identity. Meaning according to the new rule, an insurance company could charge higher premiums or other fees for those that are LGBTQ or even cancel or deny us coverage. Uh, it's it's just so frustrating. And they say that the administration is tone deaf doing these things on certain days. Um, I was watching our buddy Dell Emerson's show today and uh, they were live streaming on their platforms. And I agree with Emerson 100%. Emerson Collins was saying that Trump is probably too stupid to know this is happening on important days, but there's people in his administration know exactly what they're doing. They knew today would be the exact day to announce that they were going to bring discrimination back into LGBTQ lives on Pride Month, on the Pulse anniversary. They know that next week when he does his very first rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on June 19th, or Juneteenth, as it's known to African Americans, just celebrates the Emancipation Proclamation finally reaching the slaves after the end of the war, they knew that was the day. And Tulsa, Oklahoma, 99 years ago, had one of the best, the biggest black massacres in the state's history, for sure, and big in the country's history. They know these are happening. They moved the Republican National Convention from Charlotte, North Carolina, because they wouldn't let them have their huge thing without wearing masks, to now they moved it to Jacksonville, Florida, on a date where something else is happening. Now, I don't expect them to know every date what's happened in history, but a lot of these are purposeful events, and if we do not vote these people out, we're in for a scary four years ahead. If we do vote these people out, we're in for a scary two months. Do you know what Trump can do from the day of the election, November 8th, until he leaves in January twenty-four or January 20th? That's a lot of time. So we need to pay attention. We need to get our voting right. Of course, what happened in Georgia this week was a debacle. We need to get some things right. So... That happened today. Also today, the Republican National Party said they were gonna renew their 2016 party planks, quote unquote plank, which is basically what the Republican Party stands for in the nominating process. And they're keeping them basically the same as 2016. What was their party platform or planks in 2016 when it was here in my state near my city in Cleveland, Ohio? Oh, let's see. I think they wanted to promote conversion therapy. They wanted to overturn the 2015 Supreme Court decision that struck down marriage equality and make marriage equality illegal again. That is the Republican platform they adopted today for this election year. We cannot let this happen, friends. This is ridiculous. We need to stop this. We need to stop discrimination where it starts and not put up with this at all, okay? Um, Frustrating. Very, very frustrating. Only good news I could find today, and all the news, and I looked hard because I was so lit up about things that were happening today, is that season two of Pose lands on Netflix this weekend. So if you're a Pose fan, and that has a lot of black, trans, people of color, great storytelling, from an LGBTQ perspective, starring, of course, Billy Porter. A lot of great people on season two, has Sandra Bernhardt on it. Um, Great television will be on Netflix starting this weekend. So be on the lookout for that. That's about the only positive. And we have Drag Race tonight if you're into All-Stars season. It's the second week of Drag Race tonight. So that is going on as well. But it is – It's not a great day for LGBT rights today, folks, and we have to remember this and not settle for it. While doing this, we have to support our people of color in the fight that's going on for them right now. Like I said, the two are converging, I know, in at least L.A. this weekend. There's going to be a huge march in L.A. this Sunday. So watch your local news for that. Be a part of it if you can. Be safe if you're there. And I'm sure it's going to keep happening all over the country this weekend. So a lot of stuff going on there. Crazy, crazy time. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and bring our good buddy Jake on. Uh, Jake Dean Taylor is an actor. He's a fitness trainer at Equinox. I think he's going back to work in the next week or so. They're starting to open up the fitness centers in L.A. very soon. He's a personal trainer over there. He is going to do a Friday fitness minute with us. So let's see what he has to say. Jake, go ahead and take it away, buddy. Thanks, Scott.
3: I am coming to you today with another fitness minute. I'm really excited because I think a lot of stuff is happening politically and socially in our government and even globally in a lot of different really amazing ways. I do want to take a moment before I jump into this really exciting high-intensity interval training that I think everybody's gonna love. I do wanna say, first of all, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives have always mattered and Black Lives will always matter. And it's super important as allies to please lift up and lower your voice. Lift up the Black people, lift up the people of color, lift up the people who are being affected by a lot of really gross things happening in our society that have been happening for so long. So if you are being an ally, amazing. If you're scared to be an ally, don't be because it's the right way to be. And remember, do your research, get uncomfortable, and please, please, please listen. Just listen, okay? Second of all, I do want to quickly say, today is the anniversary of the Pulse shootings that happened in Orlando, Florida. 49 people were lost. 49 beautiful souls were lost. It was Latin night. It was queer night. Pulse is a queer club, a gay club. I think it's super important that we do take a moment to really remember that, Our community has come a very long way, but our community has such a long way to go. And part of the reason why Black Lives Matter so much is because we are intertwined with them, you know. And us giving honor and remembrance to Pulse gives us honor and remembrance to Black Lives Matter. And it reminds us to keep pushing forward for equality for everyone. I do want to tell a quick story before I get into the high-intensity interval training. Pulse nightclub was the the very first gay club that I went to. It was the first gay club that I got to dance with who is now my husband. It was the first nightclub that I was able to spend with who I consider my family today. And it was the first nightclub that I got to openly kiss the person who I've married today. It holds a very near and dear place in my heart. And it's our job to usher in a new generation that can have their first in a very safe and secure environment. So please do everything in your power to make that happen. Thank you so much. Remember, Pulse 49. Let's continue spreading love and joy. All right, now let's get into our high-intensity interval training workout. In remembrance and honor of Pulse, we are going to do a high-intensity interval training workout that consists of four different exercises at 49 seconds each with a 49-second break in between. It's gonna be hard, you're going to sweat, but let's go ahead and get it done. So this first exercise for 49 seconds is we're doing walkouts. You know why? Because we're walking up and we're walking proud with our queer community and with Black Lives Matter. So for 49 seconds, you do walkouts. What this means is you put your feet wide, you squat down, and then you walk out into a push-up position, and then you come right back up and stand. You stand loud and proud for your community, okay? Number two, we got 49 seconds of push-ups. You know why? Because we're pushing up the queer community. We're pushing up Black Lives Matter. So we push up, we go down, push up, keep it really nice and strong. It's gonna be a nice, typical push up. We're not doing any variations with it. Round number three, we are going to do jump squats, okay? We got 49 seconds of jump squats. What this is doing is this is showing us that we can jump ahead of all the growth stuff that's happening behind us, and we can jump into a beautiful new era of equality for all, okay? So we got jump squats for that. And then finally, we are going to do a 49 second plank. Now, this 49-second plank is to show that we are sturdy and steadfast and we're keeping strong for our queer community and for Black Lives Matter, okay? So, just to recap, 49 seconds walkout, 49-second second push-ups, 49-second jump squats, and 49-second plank. All of this targets basically your entire body, and it goes to show that you are strong enough to move forward and to protect the people that need to be protected, okay? And with this, I give you so much love, and remember, you're better than everything that you were taught, and you're better. You're allowed to be better, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So with that said, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to see you in two weeks. Next week is going to be Jason Caceres, and stay loud, stay proud, and please, please, please help your black brothers and sisters who are out there right now fighting the good fight. Thank you so much. Have an amazing Friday.
1: Thanks, Jake. That was amazing. I love that, the way you tuned that workout to celebrate the 49 people we lost in Pulse. That was amazing. Thank you, my friend. You can find Jake every other Friday here for a fabulous Friday Fitness Minute. You can follow him on Instagram, at Jake Dean Taylor. And you can find him on Twitter, Jake Joke Joked, I forget. But you can find him. Look for Jake Taylor. Sorry about that, Jake. I messed it up here for you. But thanks for coming on today. We will see you in two weeks. I did want to give a shout out. <clears throat> you guys know I try to bring on interns from time to time. And I'm very excited to welcome my newest intern class that is going to be starting this weekend. And that will be helping me out while I head out to the Big Gay Road Trip and starting their own podcast for a class project. Uh, I put out an ad for interns every year, not knowing um, who I'm going to get, how many I'm going to get. And this year, I was very excited. I got 43 applicants to be interns for Left to Straight Radio. Um, Straight allies, people of all persuasions of our LGBTQ community. And it was a pleasure going through all of the applications I did a phone interview with 20 of them. I was going to pick five, so I had one for each night of the week of the show. And I ended up, there were so many good candidates. I ended up picking 10, and I'm going to have them double up and work together, each for each night of the week for a show and creating their own shows. So pretty amazing. I want to welcome them to the Left of Straight family tonight. We have Drew in South Carolina, Zoe in Ohio, Gloria in Miami. Arnett in Ohio, David in West Virginia, Justine in West Covina, California, Hannah in Texas, Royal here in Ohio, and Han in Loviana. I forgot to write down where you're from. Sorry about that. Ten amazing new interns left to trade. You'll hear them on the radio from time to time helping me out, learning to do their own show. So big Round of applause for them I'm looking forward to working with them Starting tomorrow We have our first orientation day That is exciting As I said They will be helping out On the Well, I'm on the Big Gay Road Trip Which start I leave three weeks from Sunday, guys Can you believe it? It's coming by so quick We will have our very first Left of Straight show Live episode from California Four weeks from Monday So that means I'm going to be leaving On Sunday, July 5th, be able to check the website this weekend. We're going to vote on places for me to stop. There's a couple of really cool LGBTQ places along the road. I'm going to let you guys kind of pick my routes for me and uh, let me know what kind of places you'd like to see. I'll give you a couple of different destinations and I will check them out and report back on you. And I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be like our own little left of straight virtual pride tour since pride is going virtual all over the place. We will stop at different LGBTQ pockets, uh, communities, on the drive here from Northeast Ohio to Palm Springs and then on the way back as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, It did happen very last minute. I couldn't get my normal sponsors as usual. So I am asking for your help. As you guys know, I don't do commercials on this show. I I make no money off the show. I pay to put the show on and I pay to take the show to California. And so any help I can get for um, either gas and lodging along the way um, through gift cards or through money donations, or I put a nice little gift basket together for all my celebrities who take the time to drive out from California and Orange County to be on the show. If you are a vendor or a, uh, if you own a business and you would like to put some of your information or give a product in my gift bag, swag bag for my celebrities, please reach out to me. Uh, go to the website www.leftistrate.com. You can email me. My email is in uh, my Twitter and Instagram handles at leftofstraight, always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. And again, I will have everything up on the website this weekend, so you can look for that if you want to donate. You can go to my Facebook page right now. I do a Facebook donation. We've raised $225 out of I think 1000 is what I'm hoping to. That should pay for my drive there and back to California. If you could contribute to that i would be most appreciative i'm not sure if i have it on my personal page scott fullerton uh, which is public and you can find it or if it's on the left of straight show page on facebook but if you can find that this weekend and if you're not going out to the bars if your city is still closed down donate five dollars or ten dollars for what you spend at the bar this weekend i would be in much appreciation for it i'm going to try to bring you some great guests well, I'm in California. I've had quite a few confirm already. A lot of first time guests, which will be very exciting. These first time to Palm Springs. So that's going to be an exciting show is happening from the Indulge Resort in four weeks. So I'm going to start talking about that every day starting next week. We have the Indulge Resort hosted by John and Sandy. We'll be bringing our show there for four weeks of live shows. I think we'll be doing, instead of the five days a week, I will be doing four days live from Palm Springs or three days live from Palm Springs and two days of pre-tape interviews with different guests from back back East here and everything. So that's going to be exciting. And I appreciate your guys' support on that. We are going to be starting a Patreon page this month too, where you can support pod. Patreon is a company that supports artists, podcasters, filmmakers, where you can donate, anywhere from $3 a month to $100 a month to help support your local artists to put out great content for you. We're going to start one of those up as well. If you'd like to support the Left of Straight show that way, I appreciate it. As I said, I've not done commercials up to this point. It's something I've avoided doing, but it's something we're kind of looking into how to bring the station up to the next level, and we're going to use all of our Left of Straight family to get us there. So thank you so much for all of that. Let's go ahead and get ready for my first guest here. As I said, I have two fantastic interviews today. The first is going to be a pre-taped interview with actor and theater creator Jared Reinfeldt. Uh, I came across him. I had his uh, partner Sam Light on the other day. Sam is in Broadway on the touring company for Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief. And Jared, his partner, has done some amazing theater throughout Boston and Nashville and New York himself. And the two of them are just the cutest couple in the world. And they're so nice. And I was excited to have Jared on. I got to talk to him before all before closing down last week when I stopped the shows for those three days. I just re- pre-taped with Jared right before. And in respect, I was, I we, we didn't do shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I'm going to play Jared's interview pre-taped from last week today. We had a great conversation. I'm going to start that in just a couple of minutes, and then for the second hour, coming on at 7:15 uh, Pacific time, 10:15 here Eastern time tonight, I'm going to bring on for the first time to the show Debbie Holliday. She is a fantastic singer-songwriter. She's been featured in, with our buddy Del Shores in his films and uh, singing on them and acting in them, and she's a tri- terrific ally to the LGBTQ community. She's also um, part of Black Lives Matter, and she's going to be able to talk to us about that and her experiences and hopefully raise us up this weekend as we keep the pressure on for equality for all in this Pride Month and as we pay attention to Black Lives Matter. So a couple of exciting things happen. Let's go ahead and get Jared here on. Uh, We're going to play a little song first, and then when we come back, we're we'll going be talking to Jared Reinfeld, fantastic actor and theater creator. Listen to the Left to Straight show right here on the Left to Straight Radio Network. <laughs> Alrighty, guys, we are back. That was our buddy, Tony Award-winning Levi Christ with Hello. And we are back, and I'm so excited to talk to my next guest. He is an actor and theater creator raised in the South and living in the great city of New York. You may have seen him in everything from feature films to television to the stage. He worked on some of my favorite projects from Rocky Horror and a Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum to Frankenstein, the slightly reimagined version of Little Women by the great Greta Gerwig. In my research, she really comes across as the thinking man's actor, so I'm so excited to talk to him. Please welcome to the Leftist Trade Show for the very first time, Mr. Jared Reinfeldt. Jared, how are you doing, buddy? I am good.
4: I'm good. Thank you so much. No, it's good to talk to you, finally.
1: It's good to talk to you. We we've, we've been adjacent. I interviewed... Your partner, Sam, a while back, and told him how impressed I was with your resume as well. I'm glad we finally get to talk. How have you been holding up? Where are we finding you, this uh, corona quarantine and weird and strange times we're living in right now?
4: Goodness, isn't that the truth? We are, um, so we were in New York um, when the coronavirus kind of hit, and we ended up both getting it. Uh, So we were definitely quarantined there for about a month and a half. Um, and then how headed home to our respective families to kind of get out of the city. Uh, so that means for me Nashville, Tennessee, um, and then for him with Green Bay, Wisconsin. And now both of us are in upstate Wisconsin um, kind of for the rest of the summer until New York starts to open back up again um, and we can go get back to work.
1: Well, awesome. That's great that you can stay together and especially to have someone to talk to because we went from a virus to – civil unrest, which is you've been posting about, I've been posting about. It's a very scary time for our fellow friends in the African-American community. And thank you for all your posts. It's just a really, 2020 has been a little different, eh?
4: It has been. And it's it's been interesting to see how much um, really encouraging engagement there's been from um, so many people, you know, kind of across the spectrum of our community. Um, it seems like we went through, horrible police brutality you know maybe four years ago in kind of a similar situation and nothing seemed to happen so it was frustrating to see it again um, and you know really devastating but it's kind of amazing the way that this seems to be galvanizing some change Um, I guess it's just kind of time to keep all of our feet on the gas pedal and keep pushing for it um, because it's you know well past time that this is no longer something we should be uh, continually running into every couple of years it's awful
1: Right. And it's very interesting to me that it's happening right as we begin our Pride Month, because Pride was founded on civil unrest and protesting by people in the Black trans community. So it just seems to be, I always think that Pride needs to remind us more of our history than just the celebration. And I think this is really bringing this to a full circle moment, personally.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I I, I totally hear you with that. We can learn a lot from the ways in which... um... You know, people of color, especially the black community, has protested for rights that, you know, we now enjoy quite freely without kind of remembering where they came from. And they don't often have the same rights that we do, even though they're fighting much harder for them.
1: Well said. Let's start with a little background. since it's your first time on the show, Jared. Um, You're kind of a vagabond like I've been. Green Bay to Seattle to Nashville to Boston for school. Let's start with the early life. Where do you consider yourself growing up and what kind of a kid were you?
4: Sure. You know, it's kind of crazy. I spent about the same amount of time in Green Bay and Seattle and Nashville. Um, uh, My father was in the NFL. Actually, he worked for the NFL. So we kind of followed around whichever team he would work for. Um, So it was kind of, you know, six years here, eight years there, 10 years somewhere else. So, yeah, we just kind of moved around a lot, but it gave me a lot of different perspectives in the world. Um, I really enjoyed Seattle because it was, you know, the most diverse, the most exciting. It seemed to be a lot happening there. So I think when it came time to choose where I wanted to go to school, I wanted place, you know, that really focused on a highly educated population and a lot of um, mixing of different cultures. And Boston seemed like, you know, it's not New York, but it was a better size for me. And there was a lot going on in Boston that I thought would be interesting uh, to bear witness to.
1: Very cool. And I always say to places like Boston and New York and uh, even l a is so expensive it 's great to go as a student when you can kind of take advantage of some student housing and things and kind of be able to explore the city where you 're not having to do that daily grind every day right
4: exactly, exactly. It was a big wake up call to graduate and and realize you know just how you know it, it is tougher when you 're not a student there for sure um, but I loved school i would I would for sure go back. I had uh, a great academic time in high school and i I love Boston College as
1: well. Nice. And that's kind of where you really got your start in acting. Talk about what you did there acting-wise. Um, I have to tell you, watching your audition reels, doing the research, you are I, – I pay attention to acting as a layman. And you have the most expressive eyes and face. All four of your audition reels you have on your YouTube, you have amazing use of your face and eyes. And I want to know where that training comes from, if it's just natural. Talk about your early uh, theater and background in training.
4: Sure, yeah. So I think I was always pretty theatrical and, you know, maybe a nuisance to my parents in that way, but I do think they enjoyed it. But I (laughs) I would come down in different costumes with different accents and be a different person that day. Um, kind of all through elementary and middle school, and just to kind of make them laugh and and have make us have a fun time. Um, and I did some shows in high school. Um, I high school had a really great theater program, but I also kind of dabbled in some athletics. And I was really academic. I just don't really think I knew exactly what I wanted to do, so I kind of dabbled in it all, which I think was really helpful. And you know, I like to be as well-rounded as possible. So it. It ended up being a nice way to grow up. And then, you're right, once I got to Boston College, I really found that I was supposed to be pursuing a, a pre-med degree there. Um, but instead of oh, wow. studying my biology or I know, or chemistry or, or whatnot, um, I was, you know, memorizing lines for this and auditioning here, and I was in rehearsal, and I, I was like, it, it makes no sense for me to pursue something when all of my love and attention and, you know, something I'm really willing to dedicate most of my time to is, you know, theater and and acting, so it it made more sense to follow that for me.
1: It's awesome. Well, we are in Pride Month. I want you to talk to me. Give me your, when did you first come out to yourself, and tell me when you really found your LGBTQ tribe and felt like part of the community. Sure.
4: Yeah, I guess that's an interesting one. I think, you know, I spent uh, elementary and middle school in Seattle, which was really diverse and really, you know, people of every kind of orientation and color and background, which I loved. And then we moved to Nashville, right. Tennessee, which was very white, very straight, um, you know, very conservative Christian. So it was a, a different kind of experience for me. And I kind of went through high school thinking that I was straight or possibly bi, or you know, not really knowing what was going on, just because I, I didn't know a single other gay person. To be honest, we didn't. Right. We, I didn't have anyone in my life. That was that. Um, so it, there was definitely some doubt in my mind and some questions, but there wasn't anything you know, any role models or any, anything pointing that direction. And in a lot of cases, there were some people in my life that were pointing the opposite du- direction, if that makes sense, that, you know, people who I knew, if I brought something up to them, you know, coaches, teachers at my school, would have reacted negatively. So I think that was okay. all kind of delayed farther for me than it is for a lot of people, especially people that I see, I'm so happy to see coming up in high school now, you know, really knowing themselves at a much younger age than I feel like I did. But it probably right. wasn't until I got to VC that I felt kind of more free to question and talk to people about it. Um, and that's probably when I, you know, came out to myself and my friends and, and my family.
1: So you found, was the theater community your first really kind of open acceptance, finding part of that community, or where did you find your tribe and your community?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So it was definitely the theater um, community at boston college they were just a a wonderful great open accepting group of people who never it it just wasn't a question my sexuality whether it was straight or gay or bi or whatever they just kind of took me as i was which really allowed me the freedom to be like oh maybe you know maybe i am gay in fact i am um that was kind (laughs) of a nice uh discovery for all of us to have together um and that was definitely (laughs) my tribe of people since then but they kind of kind of sat by the side and were like maybe you know you might be and i'm like no, definitely. I think yes. Now having tried that, it's for me.
1: Nice, so. very good. Mm-hmm. Here, I put your um, your partner on the spot there, Sam, and made him tell about his first boyfriend experience, which had to do with a video he put. What was your first boyfriend experience?
4: Sure, it was his Book of Mormon video, right? That's a good one. Right. Very, very great. Um, my first boyfriend experience was I. Uh, we had to take dance classes um in the theater community, but there were also some dance groups on campus, including, a, like, a hip-hop um, group, and uh, there was just a very attractive boy on the hip-hop team that was also in my dance class and also a swimmer at school, and he just had a lot of swag, and was. I was kind of swept away by that, um, but he was older than me and ended up graduating before me, so it was, like, you know, maybe a six-month thing, and then we realized, you know, I was still in school. He was off in New York, and it was not gonna work. But it was a great way to point to my family and be like, look at how, you know, wonderful this person is. I'm really excited to share this person with you. So I'm I'm really glad that it happened in college and with someone who was really, really sweet.
1: Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. All right, well I wanna get into your work in a bit, but we but I think you're a fan of theater and movies and everything as much as I am. So I want to talk to you and start about that. You were able to kind of See my hall pass girlfriend mary louise parker in the sound inside um talk uh, about that experience i really wish i could have got to new york to see that you said it really kind of you're still thinking about it now talk about that show in general how did it um make you feel from the perspective an audience member and also from an actor's point of view
4: absolutely um that's so funny i'm i'm the biggest fan of the theater community you could tell me a person we can talk for days but it's Really like my joy (laughs) to talk about this, Um, but no, she was incredible. And it's something I had heard about her during at Williamstown um, in a much smaller theater space. It's just a two person show about, she's a college writing professor who's kind of narrating to you a story that happened to her as she's writing her own novel kind of inspired by what happened to her. So she kind of moves in between a narration and a direct address to the audience. And then also interacting with her young, male student who's uh, taking a course from her. So to watch her navigate kind of those three layers of performance, which is, I think, one of the hardest things to do, you know, to connect with someone close to you on stage, to connect with just yourself as if you're, you know, writing and taking down your own thoughts, and then to connect with, you know, 1,100 people in the audience at the same level of intensity. I have no idea how she did it, but I'm still thinking about it. I'm going to try to figure it out. (laughs) And it was just amazing how two people could fill such a huge space, and I felt like I was sitting directly next to her. And it's such a quiet piece. It's so intimate. Um, I don't know if I've ever had someone kind of sit or stand on the stage and reach out and talk to me directly as she was able to do. So I I was just blown away by her her skill in that. It's amazing.
1: Oh, I love hearing that. I am – such a fan of theater myself. Talk about um, that obviously is one of your better theater experiences. What was some of your highlights for seeing theater before it went dark? I mean, we have to keep celebrating theater um, until it comes back. Talk about some of the highlights for you. Sure.
4: Um, I, you know, I try to see as many different kinds of theater as possible. Um, I loved the Oklahoma revival that they put up at Circle in the Square last year. I was just, really kind of again blown away by how they flipped the show i thought i knew on its head and made it really relevant to today i, I hope that they filmed it and i wish that they would um, release it because it speaks a lot about the way we treat people we consider outsiders in society and the way in which kind of a mob mentality can overwhelm uh, real justice Um, And the way in which we maybe treat people of color, like their opinion, especially their opinion on justice, doesn't matter, even if they are the people in charge. Um, They were really intentional about casting, you know, the sheriff as a black man. And somehow he was overwhelmed by this white mob of people who disagreed with them on how real justice should be served. And that stuff Mm. I didn't even know was in Oklahoma until I saw it presented in that way. Um, So I was really blown away by that. I saw my favorite, one of my favorite stage actresses, uh, Jessie Mueller in Waitress. I Mm. just think there's very few people that can carry a scene and a song and marry them together in the same way that she does. You know, she sings like she's breathing to me. Um, And I've I've had the fortune to see her in a couple of things, and I really try to catch her wherever she is, because it's, it's a pretty unique talent and an exceptional voice, I think.
1: Oh, that's a beautiful way to put it too. I love that. Yeah. Well, let's get into some more commonality in television as well. Defending Jacob, I thought, was an amazing piece of acting. Um, Michelle Dockery, of course, I knew from uh, Downton Abbey, and of course Chris Evans. I'm a superhero nerd, and he's just a handsome man, and I like his gay brother. But anyway, besides that, it was an amazing piece of film work. Talk about that show, Defending Jacob. What did you like about that? Sure.
4: So actually, my journey with that is I was living in Boston for about two years after I graduated, and I was auditioning for a lot of TV stuff that films in Boston, and that was one of the shows that they brought me in for, Um, weirdly, to play the part of uh, the young kid kind of from the wrong side of the tracks who ends up being kind of the key witness against – I don't want to ruin this show for people – Again, right, the person right. who they think killed Jacob. Um, now seeing who they cast, I totally understand why it wasn't me. But for a while, we, we were pretty close <laughs> to uh, to being in it, which is just hilarious. But I really wanted to see it because I had read the script in the book. Um, I love a mystery. I love uh, where you can't really tell who did it, and we would kind of have debates in my family night after night. You know, maybe the mom killed the boy, maybe the the son, maybe the dad. Um, so I love to kind of play around with shows that really don't let you have a good grip on exactly who the villain is. I think, you know, those are the most interesting to me.
1: Right. Definitely. I like that. Another one that we had in common, I love Dead to Me. Christina Applegate could do no wrong, in my opinion. Um, James Marsden is just fun to watch. Talk about that, what you liked about that show.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a black comedy in the sense that it's really dark and it should be very sad. And it is. And then it's Laugh Out Loud Funny the next, you know, the next beat. And I, those two women are just phenomenal at flipping the switch there. And, I'll, you know, they play off each other so well that it's just kind of a master class in being able to hold something really heavy and then really light at the same time. And it's fun to see James Marsden play, you know, essentially, without spoiling it, he plays two, two different characters that are, you know, kind right. of near images of each other. It's nice as someone who I think he's had a pretty straight lace career as, like, the handsome, very handsome leading man to, um, you know, allow him to play with kind of a funnier, goofier, weirder, you know, maybe darker selves than I'm sure he's able to most of the time.
1: Right, right. Very cool. Well, as I said in the intro, and it could just be my perception, I consider you kind of a thinking man's actor the way I've seen just the, the parts that I've seen in your auditions and things like that. Are you able... Are you able to just lay back and enjoy these type of plays and TV shows? Are you always kind of learning and trying to get tips from them, or do you rewatch them and do both? Tell me what you're, from an acting standpoint, what you get out of these things.
4: Sure. I mean, I think the first time you see it, you have to just enjoy it because it, it takes so much work to make a theater piece or a film or a TV show that I, I really try to just, you know, meet them where they are and enjoy them for the labor of love that they all are, that I know they all are. But every right. once in a while, someone or something or, you know, some bit of the script will come along and really grip you. And that's when I really start to pay attention and, and maybe make a note, like, why, why did they make that choice? You know, why did the script go there? Um, they maybe reacted, the character, completely differently than I would have in that situation. But it was fascinating and it worked. Why would they do that? So, you know, I I try to kind of balance both because there's so much good content in television and theater out there. I think it's, you know, important for us to, you know, know what's going on and really, you know, try to keep getting better every time.
1: No, very true. Very true. Nice. Well, Let's start getting into some of your work. There's some certain things I want to talk about. You've been in a lot of great everything from regional theater to off-Broadway and film and television. I want to start with um, Frankenstein. I've seen it. Done a couple of times. You have some amazing reviews for your work in there. Talk about what kind of experience that was, and uh, what what was your takeaways from that experience?
4: Um, Frankenstein was maybe one of my best theatrical experiences to date, if if not my favorite. M- chiefly because uh, it was at this company called Studio Ten in Nashville, which is the company that I grew up going to see people star in, in shows there. And this was the first time oh. that I was able to star in a show there and really lead a company. Um, so it was a crazy full circle moment for me to work with them. I'd worked with them a couple times before, but to, you know, to kind of create the show with them and, and work with them so closely. Uh, so, yeah, this Frankenstein was born out of uh, the artistic director and the writer, Matt Logan and Pete Peterson. Uh, they both saw this version at the National Theater of Frankenstein with Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller um, in which those men alternate the role of Dr. Frankenstein and the monster, the creature. And they liked it. a right. fascinating, glorious production. It's stunning. But they were like, where is the moral center of this? And why are the women in this story kind of erased? They they thought some of it was lacking in that sense. So Pete Peterson, the, uh, the writer, um, uh, adapted, went back to the book and adapted a brand new script. Um, and they were kind enough to come and have me workshop it with them, which was a huge honor. Um, and that went well, cause they hired me for the production. So yeah, I, I played Dr. Frankenstein a little bit, I guess, differently than like the mad scientist, most people picture. I think he has a lot more in common with like a Mark Zuckerberg type in the sense that, you know, he was way ahead of his time and really driven and then maybe lost some of his morals, you know, mm. depending on what you think about Facebook, uh, along the way and really focused on, you know, his own goals instead of, you know, helping other people. And then we had a brilliant actress, Morgan Davis, uh, come in and play Elizabeth, who is Frankenstein's love interest. And she really became the moral center in a play that is really about uh, forgiveness and learning to look at the other person's perspective. And, you know, that an eye for an eye makes everyone blind. She was the one who really kind of came in and and centered everyone in that because it's a tragedy, Otherwise, if if there's not someone to remind
1: people that all this death and
4: destruction isn't necessary.
1: Well said, right. Wow, that's an amazing experience. I'm so excited you got to go through that. And it sounds like it was yeah. just a great thing to be a part of. Good on you, man. That's fantastic.
4: Definitely. definitely. It, was, it was a huge, huge honor.
1: Well, I also want to talk about, and I have never heard of it before, The Legend of Georgia McBride. Such an interesting story reading about it talk to me about that experience and I have all sorts of questions with that one because it just seems like a fascinating sure. play to me.
4: It really is. Uh, the Legend of Georgia McBride is by um, Matthew Lopez, who's the same guy who wrote The Inheritance, which was just on Broadway this last season, and right. he's written a couple of other amazing plays in a bunch of different genres. Crazy talented writer who I'm a huge fan of. So I heard that they were doing it in Boston, and I had seen clips of it in New York, and I said, oh, yeah, actually, I can do that. He's uh, Southern, he um, is straight. Which, you know, I, I play about half straight roles and half gay roles. So I was I was happy to do that. Um, he plays a little bit right. of guitar, guitar. He sings a little bit, and then he um, that's not really making enough money. So he kind of gets wrapped up in uh, becoming a drag queen because the bar where he's working becomes a drag bar, and he realizes he can make a lot more money as a drag queen and a lot more success. But he realizes in order to provide for her and not let her worry because she is pregnant Um, so he really gets himself into a tough pickle by not being honest up front but it is so much fun it's about an hour and a half an hour 45 minutes of crazy fast paced quick changes and comedy and drag numbers (laughs) left and right and then some really tough reckoning about what it means to be a straight guy kind of co-opting drag culture and what it means to be a man lying to your wife about performing in drag and uh, about finding yourself in an art form that teaches you more about yourself than maybe you knew before. So really it wraps up in a, a beautiful kind of bow at the end.
1: It just sounds like there's so many levels to it. I absolutely love it. Talk, now, talk about doing drag. Are you able to get an appreciation of that, having to do it so many nights a week and having to go through that transformation?
4: It is so hard. It is, it is crazy hard. And I knew, I, you know, I'd seen drag performances. I'd seen drag performers. I'd seen like RuPaul's Drag Race and the videos on YouTube. I had no idea how much work there was beforehand. And also during because I honestly think lip syncing is harder than singing because you can't Mm -hmm. make noise. It it just makes noise. It's a completely different skill set that I had to learn. And then we had to put me in drag on stage every night in about five minutes at a time while we were continuing a scene and then out of drag and then into drag. So it was just we can get close to what, you know, they do. But, you know, those people are in hair and makeup that they do themselves for hours at a time first. Uh, So I have a much greater appreciation for the hours and hours and the, the real craft that they have.
1: I bet. Oh my goodness. that sounds amazing. Did you see both parts of the inheritance while it was playing? No. So
4: I really wanted to see it. Um, You know, it was a huge hit in London and I had had some friends see it here and I obviously am a huge fan of the writer, but I saw part one on maybe Thursday, like middle of March and then Broadway shut down on Saturday, and I was supposed to see it on Saturday. <laughs> so I did oh. miss out on part two. Uh, I, I'd read it a couple times, uh, so I, I know what happens. But it would have been amazing to see it. I thought it was brilliantly directed and acted as well.
1: Right. That's that's what I heard. I had friends that did both. That saw got to see both of them in some same way. Halfway through, yeah. they weren't able to see the second half. So I can imagine how frustrating right. that would be. <laughs> gracious. It was uh. tough. <laughs> uh, well, I got to see that. I got to see Georgia. That sounds like an amazing show. Very, very, very cool. You
4: should. It's uh, it's one of the most uh, produced shows in the country at this point. So it's, it's happening somewhere around you, I'm sure.
1: I will put it on my radar and find it. I will seek it out. Um, yeah. Talk about Rules of Desire off-Broadway. I'm not familiar with that at all. Um, talk about being in that show and what that was like.
4: Absolutely. Um, so "Ruse of Desire was my first off-Broadway show, which was so exciting to work in New York, which has kind of been the dream always. Um, and it was also right. my first time uh, being a swing or understudy. I got to do it a little bit in college, but it's, it's very different in college because the, the stakes are so much lower. But "Ruse of Desire was a play written, written by William Master Simone, and it was about a young man in the Navy who kind of sneaks his girlfriend aboard an aircraft carrier in order to get her out of a really bad family situation. And they kind of plan on sneaking away together at the next port of call. But while they're kind of hiding out Mm -hmm. in the bowels of this gigantic ship, they get caught by uh, his commanding officer. And the commanding officer says, okay, so you have two options here. You either can, you know, get uh, on trial for treason, or you can um, agree that she is your girlfriend." for half the day and for the other 12 hours she's my girlfriend you know while you're at work she's mine and they don't know what to do it's an impossible situation it seems to them at the time and so they agree to that second option they agree that she'll spend time with the commanding officer for half the day and with the young man for the other time um so obviously very dark um and really kind of speaking to the me too movement and um the way in which people who have power over us can, you know, they were kind of powerless in that situation or felt like they were. Um, So it was kind of fascinating to wrap my head around, you know, what the younger character might have been feeling. Um, He wasn't the brightest bulb in the bunch. And then the older character, (laughs) the commanding officer, had probably 75% of the lines. I mean, it was just, it's the dentist script I've ever even seen in my life because he had so much intelligence and so much anger and so much um, directed at other people to make them uh, feel pain or fear. Uh, so it was kind of crazy to be like, okay, I'm going to practice the young guy today and the older guy uh, tonight. Fortunately I did not have to go on <laughs> because uh, we ended up closing right before uh, the, you know, the COVID hit. Um,
1: right.
4: But it was just kind of a masterclass to watch, you know, these three people kind of navigate a really, really tricky, you know, morally ambiguous play. Um, and obviously, again, a dream to work in New York.
1: Well, it sounds interesting. And I wanted to bring that question because I saw you were doing understudy work, and I talked to Sam when Sam was on because that was part of his job as lightning, uh, lightning thief. And having to go on in a moment notice, knowing all those lines, it's such challenging in and of itself. Talk about your experience in that, having to keep these uh, characters in your mind. How did you find that experience? Sure. I mean,
4: like I said, I have not had to do it, and I had just watched um, Sam do it so brilliantly in the Lightning Thief. I I caught his Broadway debut, and he was on, and you know, with probably half an hour notice before they even opened. Um, and I was terrified for him because I said, in my place, I would be panicked. I would be terrified, and he killed it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he killed it. And then when it came time to, for me to kind of figure out how to how to do this whole thing, I said, Sam, I really need help. I need you to practice these with me because I'm going to mess up and say the wrong thing. I'm positive. So I had a Aww. lot more fear than maybe he he displayed, but he is it's right. so great to help me with all of that. And like I said, it, it didn't end up happening that I had to go on. So we will see next time how it goes. Um, but he's a great, you know, it's fun living with someone uh, in the business because they can really coach you. And, uh, you know, he can be like, I don't know what I you're bet. doing, but maybe try it this way. Yeah. It's been awesome.
1: <laughs> I like that. That is awesome. Let's go to some of the film and television work. I was pretty disappointed that No Way Back doesn't make it through. I like a good thriller. Um, you're going to be a recurring character in that if it got picked up. Talk about what your role was going to be in that, and what you thought of the behind-the-scenes um, for just doing the pilot in that.
4: Sure, yeah. So that was the first time I had ever gotten – I'd auditioned for a bunch of um, different shows and movies in Boston, but that was the first time I had ever – you know, I landed a role in something. And I was so excited because one of my favorite male theater actors, Raul Esparza um, would be playing my dad. And he is a hero of mine. I've written papers about him in school. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this. He's the one of only two men to be nominated for a Tony in every acting category that you can be, Yeah. Um, which is just the range of that is incredible to me. And just a huge person I look up to in life. So he was playing my dad. I was over the moon. Uh, Jerry Ryan from Star Trek was playing my mom, and I was thrilled because we grew up watching that. It was just like the coolest, most amazing wow. cast of people in a really um, kind of a dark thriller about our family. So we Jerry, myself, and my younger brother and sister kind of end up blackmailing this family that our sister goes to school with and kind of using them to launder money. Uh, it's based on a book as well. And it was just kind of a great intro to the theater, you know, I had some theater people that I knew in it, so it could kind of help me translate into that TV and film stuff, and I could ask, for, oh, like, what, what am I supposed to be doing here? I, I have no idea what these words they are they're using. So it just felt like a great family to be, like, I felt like I could ask questions and, you know, be dumb because it was my
1: first time doing any wow. of that. Well, for shame on NBC for not picking that up, that would have been an amazing experience, mm. but still, just be able I to... Know. To kind of live through it and get just a taste of it. it had to be pretty exciting, I would think.
4: It really was. And it was a, a huge a motivator for me to move to New York eventually because I, you know, opportunities like that come through Boston every once in a while. Um, but they are always looking for people in New York and they only sometimes go to Boston. So I said, you know, I have to move. That was exactly what I want to be doing. And it didn't work out this time, but it will eventually. And I need to be where they're looking a little bit more
1: there you go. well said they are going to find you again my friend i am sure of it yes talk about little woman i mean just being on that set uh watching greta gerwig i mean she's been doing some amazing stuff from L- ladybird she has she's doing a, a barbie project with margot robbie that sounds amazing
4: just yeah. give me a little bit of your yeah. experience
1: of being on that set
4: sure yeah so i did um Uh, five days I think on that which was I mean it's like the most amazing cast anyone uh, could hope for Um, but we were just a little bit part I don't know if you've read the book but the Moffats are kind of a wealthier family who live more downtown and they kind of befriend Emma Watson's character and my character was kind of courting Emma Watson's character before you know she leaves me for the very attractive British tutor which I totally understand he's very attractive and British so I'm not holding <laughs> grudges, but a mistake on her part, nonetheless. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was just an amazing experience uh, to kind of work with them and watch um, and watch them work.
2: Um, one
4: of my favorite films is Atonement, and Saoirse Ronan, I think, was 12 in that, and she got her first Oscar nomination, and she obviously was... You know, Joe, the lead in Little Woman, and just incredible. Again, another hero that I kind of got to watch do their thing and and learn so much from. Um, And Greta, obviously, crazy, amazing director, and her level of, like, familiarity and um, honesty and humor, and she knows exactly what she wants but is so laid back at the same time that you're kind of like, I'm amazed that this is happening and that you can bring all these (laughs) performances out of these people because everyone is so relaxed, and yet it's brilliant which I hadn't
1: seen before. That is awesome. I love hearing that. And then we have the flight attendant getting ready to take off here on HBO Max. We're in one of the episodes for that. Talk about that experience and how was that to do?
4: Sure. Yeah. So I was so excited to do that. It's funny because, uh, the, I don't really want to ruin the story of the thing. It's another kind of dark comedy, I believe based on what they let me read, (laughs) because it's pretty secretive, but they, uh, (laughs) there's a flight attendant and there's a murder that goes on and they're kind of investigating the murder and, you know, who did it. And maybe they're on the run, I think is what we're allowed to discuss. But basically uh, this wonderful actor, Griffin Matthews, plays the friend of the flight attendant. And I've been a big fan of him as well. He's an actor and writer and just an incredible activist. And one of the nicest, wisest, most wonderful people I've ever like randomly met on a set before. And, and we really got to, you know, talk through a lot of things and become close on set for that. I'm, I, he's amazing. I can't say enough about him. Um, but basically what happens is I play like a cater waiter <laughs> at this funeral who ends up flirting with Griffin. And then we, you know, we end up hooking up at a funeral. So I'm very excited to make <laughs> my uh, <laughs> debut, making bad workplace decisions, um, <laughs> which I never have in real life, of course. Um, but it was so funny cause I've never. never done anything like that. You do it a little bit in theater, but when there's like a hundred people watching on the film set, you're like, what is going on? What am I supposed to do? I don't even know how to work. You know, what do I do with my hands or my mouth anymore? Um, so it was just so funny for oh, us both fine. to go through that together and be like, I'm so awkward, but like, I love you and this will be great. Um, and just a wonderful, wonderful guy. And I can't wait to see it. Um, I think they have some more episodes of film cause they did have to pause production because of you know coronavirus so they'll be back in the fall i hope we'll see
1: there you go i can't wait to have both you and sam back together when you guys are are back in production here everything is such in a weird state of limbo on pause what are you hoping to do on this kind of forced time out what have you been able are you reading projects are you creating your own what are you working on right now
4: sure yeah i'm trying to you know read and and keep abreast of what's happening as much as possible, obviously. And then um, I've been taking some classes over Zoom, which I'm so glad I wasn't in college when, you know, Zoom University was a thing because it is, (laughs) it's it's so hard to take an acting class on Zoom. I feel like I'm losing my mind because it's a delay, you know, and you're like, where am I supposed to be looking? But it's a great new skill to learn and it it keeps you sharp. And then, um, you know, Sam and I are just kind of filming some audition tapes for stuff that they're, you know, they're still casting. We just won't be able to start working on anything right. until it opens up. Um so again it's nice to have someone who can like direct you and play all of the other characters and yeah, just kind of trying to stay busy and, and sharp with what's gonna happen once we
1: open up again. Right. Very cool. Well like I said, I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to having you guys back on and talking about future projects. Now Sam has been doing the TikTok for his fitness. I see you've gone to the TikTok a little bit. You've had some some fails and some successes on your challenges there. Uh, are you having fun with downtime? What are you doing for your for your downtime?
4: Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm much worse at social media than I feel like so many people uh, my age are. I just kind of have it to like laugh, and TikTok has been it's ridiculous, and I I don't feel like I really know how to use it, <laughs> but it's so fun to watch other people do ridiculous things. Um, but downtime, right. I'm kind of been doing a lot of DIY finish, furniture uh, refinishing, um, and I've, we've been doing a lot of planting. I think we refinished like eight pieces of furniture so far, because I get very bored during the day. Um, So we, you know, sanding them down and restaining or a lot of that. And um, today we are planting some, I am not very good at gardening, but we have empty pots. So we will be planting some things. I think they're hydrangeas. Yes. We're planting hydrangeas in some pots and I will keep you updated on whether they are alive or dead, but I give them maybe a month (laughs) and we'll know for sure. But there they're ugly go. right now. That's be Instagram
1: gold, my friend. You got to show these finished works on Instagram. That's Unless Instagram they die, on right? Me, you know. You're right. If it did, You're if right. it's not on Instagram, it didn't happen. You didn't do one piece of furniture unless you show it. That's all there is to it. <laughs> that is true. I will. Oh, I will
4: take some pictures. Goodness.
1: Well, it has been amazing getting to talk to you. Like I said, I I find you and Sam both a fantastic couple, but both so accomplished in your own works. I'm really looking forward to seeing you each in projects as we go forward here. Let all my listeners know where they can find you on social media, and maybe get a picture of your furniture down the line. <laughs> and, sure. Uh, yeah. You can look for your, your website's amazing as well.
4: Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just at Jared Reinfeldt on Instagram and Twitter and um, TikTok maybe and also my website is just jaredreinfeld.com. I'm just keeping it very simple it's just my name yeah
1: and maybe a piece go. of
4: furniture is headed your way
1: <laughs> I like it I like it alright Jared Reinfeld thanks so much for being on the Left of Straight show today I really appreciate it stay on the line for me guys we're going to play out a little mm-hmm. music here and I'll be back on just the other side you're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network John That was Joyful Sound by Debbie Holliday, who'll be coming up in just a couple of moments here. Uh, Del Shore has used that song in the Sorted Lives movie. Um, I think Olivia Newton-John sang it in the movie, to be honest with you. But we're going to talk all about that with Debbie in just a couple of minutes. She should be calling in in just a little bit here. A big thank you to Jared Reinfeldt for being on the show I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to his stories as much as I did. It was a fantastic interview. So we're going to go ahead and play out here with another Debbie Holiday song. This is one of the anthems she made. This is called Waiting for a Lifetime. And when I come back, I will be talking to Debbie. You're listening to Left to Straight Show right here on Left to Straight Radio Network. Oh, honey, I've been waiting a lifetime for several things. (laughs) Ha, <laughs> Hey guys, we are back. That was Waiting for a Lifetime by my next guest. She is a multiple billboard charting singer and songwriter where music is a family thing with her father, Jimmy, topping the charts himself, along with writing for a few artists you might have heard of. Names like Ray Charles, Jackie DeShannon, Kenny Rogers, and a little group called Sonny and Cher. (laughs) She herself broke into a dance scene with the Summer Anthem Dive back in 2004 and her power ballad Half a Mile Away charted in the top ten on Billboard and found its way into the finale of Queer as Folk. She's written for herself and some amazing co-writers, as well as sharing the stage alongside such artists as Rod Stewart, Joe Walsh, John Waite, and even Kiss. With all these amazing accomplishments... I was lucky enough to have her come across my radar with some of her collaborations with our good buddy Dell Shores. I'm so excited to finally bring her on the show. So please welcome the very first time the beautiful and the talented Miss Debbie Holliday. Debbie, how you doing?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Hey, you can introduce me anytime. That was fantastic.
1: <laughs> well, you have many <laughs> the stream of accomplishments, my young lady here. Absolutely love having you on the show. I appreciate you so much for being a fantastic ally to our community. You're an amazing singer, songwriter, and performer, and you have such a big heart. I really had to bring you on the shows. We've talked about off air. During everything that's going on in the world right now, I really need to find a way to lower my voice and amplify others that have something to speak, and I just appreciate you taking the time to call in today. It really means a lot to me.
0: Well, I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate the uh, opportunity to amplify other voices, because at any given time in history, there are different points where, uh, yeah, it's time to listen to some other people. So thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Well, like I said, you're always working so hard anyway, whether it's working on music, and you were on our good buddy, The Mama Rose Show. Uh, The other day and and said some really poignant thoughts and I thought I just got to have it's now or never to get you on here to to talk about not just your career, but this really amazing, amazingly important time in our history. So I'm just going to let you take it away and I will jump in if I have a question that pops up. But talk to me what this movement is meaning to you at this point, Debbie. Well, I think.
0: I've had a lot of conversations recently, one with a friend uh, just this morning, actually, who has another friend who's having a lot of issues with the entire Black Lives Matter because they keep saying all lives matter. Of course they do. Of course they do. But if you're marching for breast cancer, you don't run up and say all cancers matter. Right. Because those, it's, it's just that simple. It's not <laughs> negating other lives. It is not. Um, and I think, I think it's really, I feel if there's anything else or anything that people can just try to hang on to and remember is to just stop labeling people. I have hmm. really good friends that are Republicans. So you will never see on my Facebook or any of my social media, I will never say those mothers Republicans, because yes, there are quite a few I am not fond of, and I don 't like the way they legislate. I don 't like what's happening today with LGBTQ rights. What just went down today angers me, but I cannot and I refuse to put people all in one group. I have right. had conversations with some amazing friends that are Republicans, and if they're sane can talk through and find some common ground. Um, that's not always the case, and I realize that. It is not always the case, but I do say at least start there. And on the flip side, that to not be afraid of something that says black lives matter, because it means something different to, I believe, every person. Um, not every cop is bad. <laughs> not, you know. I'm a Democrat. I'm a very proud Democrat, but I don't agree with every word out of every Democrat's mouth. So to right. me, the, the movement means standing up for the way I have for many, many years stood up for LGBTQ plus rights. And until we're all equal, nothing is equal. That's a, a cliche and a slogan that's been around, but it really means something. And to take the time to actually investigate and not just go spouting off because you saw something or you saw one person say this one thing that maybe was incendiary to you, and so you went off on a tangent. Take the time and look at a lot of different sides and investigate a list of names that is far too long, and I get tears in my eyes right now as I look at this list. Julius Jones, Ahmaud Arbery, Tony Mm -hmm. McDade, Brianna Taylor, Willie Simmons, Kendrick Johnson, Jefferson Eli Rice, Emerald Black, Jennifer Jeffery. It goes on and on and on, and there are too many names. And it certainly does not. Uh, some of these were not at the hands of police officers, but it doesn't mean that all cops are bad. Hey, I've got cops in my neighborhood that I wave to all the time, across the street from my house that I adore. I think the system is set up, unfortunately, And I'm not anti-union, don't get me wrong, but the way the police officers' union is set up right now, it's next to impossible for really, really good uh, chiefs of police to get rid of someone like a chauvin who had 18 prior issues. They make it next to impossible. So um, it's just looking – Looking actually at the minutiae is what we have to do, and not just uh, put everyone into a label and everyone into a group and stop listening. And I I really feel, even though I've, (laughs) boy, have I hit that unfriend and block button a lot the last couple of weeks. um, It really, you really, people do show their true colors, pardon the pun. Uh, Well, yeah. But
1: it's crazy.
0: Go ahead. No. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Go ahead. Well, I wanted to say, but the positive part is that I I'm usually right at about 5,000 on my Facebook profile page, and I've had to block or delete about 40 people. So that means less than 1%. Now, I haven't looked at every 5,000, you know, every single person, but anyone that's either, you know, come at me or said something rude, called me high and mighty told me that anger was ignorant. Angry is not ignorant. It's what you do with your anger. It's how how you use it. Um, And so, yeah, I've had to let a few people go. But for the most part, 99% of the people I've dealt with have been fantastic or asked questions or are willing to listen the same way that I will watch a documentary about Nazi Germany. Because even though I'm not Jewish, I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, but even though I'm not Jewish, I am very interested in history to understand why people feel the way they do and why systemic racism affects neighborhoods today. Yes, slavery is over in some ways, but the fact that there are liquor stores on every corner in urban neighborhoods, in black neighborhoods, in brown neighborhoods, but certainly not in white neighborhoods. There's a reason for that. Things like that have to right. be addressed. Um, well, and as, I tend to, no, go ahead.
1: Well, I, I just wanted to say, it's, it's, it seems like um, I, I have troubles, like we're talking, as you, as you spoke so about, we're talking about Pulse today, four years later, And we're not doing anything about guns when things like this happen. And I'm just afraid that people are going to stop um, caring about this again. And I think that's the one thing that I might feel is changing a little bit. I know there's going to be more marches in uh, L.A. this weekend where the Pride Committee is getting uh, with the Black, Black Lives Matter. Do you feel a little bit of a shift, at least, in how... The public is perceiving this, or or the dedication uh, from from the public going forward. I feel a
0: huge shift. I have spent I'm going to say it hours in tears watching footage of the entire world marching, literally right. the entire world. I, in my lifetime, have never seen that before. It does feel completely different. Um, I think a friend of mine said, this is not your grandmama's protest. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. It is bigger. And, and I, you know, I blame social media for that. It is freaking amazing that we can organize and connect with others. Um, we, I am angered and saddened by, I'm not a fan of extremes in anything. Alt left and alt right are doing a really bang up job of keeping the people in the middle um, where we could find these, this common ground and sit down and make changes. They're keeping people afraid. If You know, you've got a Richard Spencer on the alt-right getting really, you know, getting white people, frankly, riled up and afraid that, you know, they're coming to your neighborhood. Beware. You know, right. and, but then you've got all left people, uh, deep Antifa, because Antifa is so disorganized. There's so many different factions, but the exactly, deep yeah. Antifa, I call them, <laughs> that, you <laughs> know, is are also causing problems. And, you know, I literally saw footage of a white guy handing a couple of black kids money to wreak havoc. And so they can right. post lots of photos of black people looting. When for the major- the majority of the people are protesting, which is last time I checked, an American right.
2: Exactly. So,
0: yeah, yeah, um, and I, I just I think you know for me I've I've got this little slogan. Yes, it's Black Lives Matter, but for BLM for me, it's be informed, lift others up, and make a difference. So, be informed means. Don't just read what you happen to scroll by on Facebook. We have such an incredible world of knowledge at our fingertips now. And search a little bit on the left and search a little bit on the right and then maybe find what makes sense to you. Be informed about what not just your local but your national uh, legislatures are up to. See what they're really doing. See what changes have happened in the last four years and not just in Uh, you know, uh, areas of race, but in the environment and, uh, you know, uh, uh, healthcare. So do some, you know, do a little searching, take, you know, take a little bit of time off from your favorite show and just scrolling through Facebook and take 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour or longer and actually see what's going on. And you'd probably be first scared, then appalled, and then, um, encouraged hopefully to do something and then l lift others up i cannot tell you the uh white black green brown it don't matter i've had friends call me and i'm calling them we're all checking in on each other because this this is frightening i i'm i'm a sap i'm a total love love everybody sap <laughs> and <laughs> i really am like i and so to see the indifference in that one particular officer's eyes as he kept kneeling, kept kneeling on George Floyd's neck for two and a half minutes past his last utterance of prayer and hope calling to his mom, wow. I, I, that will never, ever leave me, watching Ahmaud Aubrey be shot down, just chased because he was jogging. Those images will never leave me and they haunt me. I didn't sleep for the first good week after I saw that because it's just such a lack of humanity and there's footage and it's real and it's happening. And to deny it is just, you know, being silent is compliant and I will not be compliant I don't, you know, I don't, I don't believe in burning your own neighborhood down. I don't believe in burning anything down. That's where I stand on it. But I do believe in taking action. And one of the things you can do is lift others up because there are people like me, I was so grateful to have phone calls from friends and uh, even neighbors. My, my, my cellist friend or, or a violinist who lives across the street just called to check on me and said, let's just go take a oh. walk together. Um, that matters. That really matters because you start to feel alone. I mean, I I'm I'm half Irish. So uh, it's, you know, I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. My, you know, one of my first friends ever was a a, gay boy across the street. So I love everyone literally. So it churns my stomach to, to see this kind of um, anger and vehemence on so many sides. Um, And then M make a difference. Once you look, once you investigate, I just posted something on my Facebook page that is a list of petitions. Those names that I just read are petitions that need um, attendance. They need they need signatures, frankly. But I would never say, "Hey, just go, you know, go sign this for Ahmad Aubrey." Go read, find out what happened, investigate for yourself, and then make right. a difference. You know, do something rather than just click a link. And that's that's a good start. (laughs) That's a good start. But actually make a difference, even if it's, you know, shopping at Black-owned businesses or um, LGBTQ businesses. We need support. We need support right now.
1: Right. And I think that is the one thing we can say. There's not many positive things of having a pandemic, but it's kept people home and, absorbing content good bad or indifferent and i think this is something that people can't escape from before they could go about their normal lives it's like oh we saw this in the news the talking heads are talking about it i'll go upon my daily life and do this well now we're all working from home we're watching the news more we're we're speaking to friends and the one shift that i have seen is there are a lot of people listing these resources in their profiles, in their LinkedIn trees where you can actually go find these things. And people are taking advantage of them, I hope. And by using your wise words there just to start there, but then do the action, I think we can actually see some change here. I have some hope.
0: I- I have massive hope. I have massive hope. I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't for the first couple of weeks. I, 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 I started with Armad Aubrey and then followed by George Floyd. And I, I, I sank into a bit of a depression. It's just, it's, you know, as a, when you walk around in this skin, you already have this mechanism that is learned. Unfortunately, I've walked onto an elevator and had someone give me the, the stank eye. And I don't know, if, mm. like, maybe they just don't like my braids. Maybe they just don't like the way <laughs> I smell. Maybe my perfume is bothering them. Or maybe they just don't like black people. And right. they don't know me. They don't know how much I love everyone. And it's, it's a really frustrating feeling. And it brings all of that to the forefront when you see black people being murdered. And you get this fearfulness, and you know I'd go to the market and looking through my mask, you know my eyes studying people, you know. And I live in like you know a hippies with money neighborhood in Los Feliz, you know. So it's this is <laughs> this is this is not a dangerous hood I live in, and I'm still you're like wondering, like wait a minute, that guy at the grocery store never smiles at me. Is it because he hates blood? And you just start this whole narrative <laughs> that it's just not helpful. So, no. you know, no. and slowly, you know, you start finding the positivity and I got to say my LGBTQ community of friends has just been fantastic. And um, we, uh, we have always sort of un- understood each other in some respects. Um, and I think we should more and more. Um, and I have to say, I am super proud of my white thing. And the people I would not expect are like, uh uh-uh, uh, I am down for this. I have a one of my best friend's daughter, uh, I had a chat with her and a uh, beautiful white girl, and she was in zip ties for six hours the other day, you know. So, like, this is a right. different kind of movement, that I and I do feel inspired by it. I feel um, – I've been doing these shows from home because, of course, I can't perform. I canceled a lot of right. pride events this summer. And, I bet. And, yeah, and so I'm doing a, a show called Debbie's Den uh, from my den and my studio. Every uh, I change the day. Sometimes it's Sunday, sometimes it's Monday. And just over the last few weeks, I've just started started to to tithe. I one week was Wounded Warrior Project. Uh, on Memorial Day and uh um different, you know, organizations and charities. And uh two weeks ago uh there's a group called the Innocence Project that helps exonerate mm. the wrongly imprisoned. Do you, right. know you familiar with the Yeah. Very um, much so, yeah. I saw yeah, I saw this wonderful this Archie Williams who served thirty seven years in prison for stabbing a white woman. Um, and there was massive proof that he did not, but he spent 37 years in prison and finally the innocence project got him out, uh, using DNA and, uh, he made his way finally to his big dream, which was America's got talent. And it was so inspiring watching. He had a very Nelson Mandela kind of vibe. Like how, why are Um, you not angry? I would be so pissed. And he was not, <laughs> he was just, right. I would just be rah, rah, uh, like, Nelson oh, Mandela, how many years? Right. And he was just such a lovely light and was just so grateful to be on the America's got talent stage. I thought, all right. And he ain't mad. I, I, and he's being productive. I can too. So I uh, had the innocence project as my charity a couple of weeks ago and two different, Uh, one couple and one gentleman uh, separately uh, donated in my name to the Innocence Project, and over $12,000 went to them um, oh, and my name, just amazing. because I just thought, you know, so it's there are these wonderful things that we can do, and you never know what one small act can lead to. And then you don't feel as powerless either. It can be something really simple that leads to something huge. And I'm, you know, that, that money may very well help someone get out of prison that shouldn't be there.
1: So I? Right?
0: So that's encouraging to me that we can all help each other.
1: I do love that Instagram is doing that. I see. I mean, there's people with 12 followers raising $500 by doing an Instagram live. They let them put that little donation uh, thing down in the corner now, and people are raising money for this. And I think people are are seeing the stupidity of that. I mean, we have with Aubrey. It's uh, well, he was he was in that vacant house. And then with George it was like, well he might have had a fake twenty. And then it's like but then you have the president going on and saying, Oh, I think that seventy five year old man was part of Antifa scanning this thing. It's like people are understanding this is all bullshit lies. It's not the truth. And I think people are starting truth. to see right. through some of this. And that's the important thing is we we're seeing the examples of how ridiculous some of these statements are and it's just people trying to cover each other's ass and it's not the way it really is. So I think we could break through. Yes. yes. And and I, and I agree. And
3: it's,
0: you know, it's discriminatory, period, end of story. The uh, legislature that I'm, I haven't read the entire story yet, and I need to, but I'm seeing a lot of he- headlines of the Trump administration backs the Catholic charity, which refuses to work with same-sex couples. That's today. Oh, yeah. Followed, yeah, followed by uh, removing protections in the healthcare industry that right. that that were put in place 3 years ago by the Obama administration I'm sorry 6 years ago by the Obama administration just just rolling back slowly inch by inch inch by inch um, and I it's not a, it's not about disliking a man it's about disliking policies that are
1: hurting people I love no you're exactly right i mean even in ohio i mean i do get encouraged by some companies In Ohio, I'm not sure if you read about it today, Ohio is a very, the state legislature is very Republican. And uh, they had a hearing, we had some great progress in Columbus and Cleveland and my area here near Youngstown, um, passed ordinances to make racism a public health issue, to add more resources. And so they were arguing it this week statewide in Columbus in front of the state legislature. And this guy, who was a doctor, a medical doctor or surgeon or something, said, Well, why is it that maybe black people are are getting COVID more often? maybe it is they don't wash their hands as much and started saying all these stupid asinine things. And today he was fired from his hospital. So things like that make, give me a little bit of hope. And it was actually one step
0: further than that. uh, This, this very eloquent, uh, I don't know if she was a scientist or a doctor was explaining to this Senator, why uh, that people of color are dying at a much higher rate of COVID-19. Uh, right. because of you know when you have less access to health care, you already have more pre existing conditions like diabetes, et cetera and so if you already exactly. have diabetes or untreated asthma and you end up you know getting covid nineteen on and on and on, and very eloquent and explained it and then he his question was actually, well, do you think it's because colored people <laughs> Right. Exactly. Colored people don't wash their hands as much. How does that kind of ignorance become a senator? God bless them.
1: Uh, it's, it's, I, I, I got to tell you, Debbie, I, I tell this story a couple of times on the show. Um, I'm from Southern California. I was born and raised in Southern California. I like to say that I've been banished to Northeast Ohio the last 17 years because a bad boy or something. <laughs> oh, you're I in o- I didn't
0: know but, you're in Ohio.
1: Okay. Yes, I'm in Northeast Ohio. I was born and raised in Southern California for 29 years, and I've been banished to Northeast Ohio for 17 now. But I got to tell you how bad the racism was here when I first got here, and it's still bad, Debbie. But I, when I first came here, I, I loved to write, and so I got into the writers group at Barnes and Noble. And about three months into it. We had this lovely young black girl come join uh, the group, and her second week there, and we started talking her first week there and got very friendly. And her second week there, she was kind of in tears, and I said, what's going on? They moved into uh, an affluent neighborhood right next to where I'm at here, and a store neighbor put a lawn jockey in his front yard two days after they moved in. That's how bad it still was here 17 years ago.
2: It's just...
1: It was disgusting to me, and I was so um, embarrassed for myself being this. it 's gotten better, but that 's the kind of thing we 're dealing with across this country, and it frustrates the hell out of me so i can 't even understand what it does to you um, it just, it's just it 's amazing what people will do and say
0: it is, and i, I it 's very easy to get angry, and I myself personally don't Um, create or uh, I'm not productive when when I'm working from too deep of a place of anger. It can propel right. you, but you still. For me, I have to work from a place of love rather than disliking or hating this group of people, uh, which works for some. Um, I have to I have to love the people that I'm thinking of so much that I want to do something better. I want to be a better example. I want to inspire people to do little and great things together. So I, I focus on that. Um, I have a a couple of really good friends that are Scientologists and they're, um, uh, I'm not a Scientologist myself, but I've taken a few classes because I'm, you know, open to, I've, you know, I've I've studied Buddhism, you know, you, you learn everywhere. And one of their tenets, it, right. And one of their tenets is that, you know, most people are good. Man is good. Woman is good. Gender, whoever is good. Um, mostly and I, I i do think that there are these factions again on the far left and the far right that are throwing mm-hmm. so many hand grenades into the middle so we can just all keep fighting each other and right. that's not the reality of the people that i know and i have traveled this country a lot most people are good but it are there it, it only takes two or three of these <laughs> and then they've Rooted for the rat, so I do think, right. as del Shores came to him one day, this was uh, years ago, as you know you know me through del Shores and uh del Del's family, and uh he was I, he's told this story many times, but uh his daughter was very sad after the, the marriage equality act here um was passed. Uh, right before it was overturned and she was very depressed for her father for all the people she loves for you know just basic rights in general and she came out of her bedroom and said dad you know what i'm not upset anymore and he's like well why hon what's going on dad i just realized all of these bigots are gonna die
1: (laughs) (laughs) this is true some not soon enough, but hey, I'm not. I don't want to be bitter. I won't be bitter. <laughs> I won't be bitter.
0: I ain't bitter. <laughs>
1: there you go. And I do oh feel like goodness. I
0: feel like we're seeing that. You know, I've got a 26 year old friend named Derek Day, who is an incredible singer songwriter. And when he saw that I, um, and he's of, uh, you know, he's, he 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 reads as white, although he's got Latin descent as well. Um, but uh, he. On his show the other day, he also uh, had uh, the Innocence Project as one of his charities. So I just, it's a different, Mm, again, not your grandmama's protest. So I feel like there are more people that will get it. And um, that is the majority. And I think it's really important to remember that good people are the
1: majority. Well, I want to spend, we only have about 10 minutes left, so let's spend maybe five minutes talking about what can we do as LGBT allies to the black community, as just white allies to the black community, that is helpful but not condescending. I think there's a fine line that we're afraid to walk that you guys might not feel is as big a line, not as big a deal to you. So maybe share with my listeners what we can do from little to big steps in your opinion? You know,
0: I I I, I empathize be you, were it you, because that's how I feel when I read uh, I, some of, I have some really good friends who kind oh of, I'm, I'm, I'm a teary girl these days, so I'm fighting back tears. I, I have a lot of um, <laughs> gay couple families who have either adopted or through surrogacy have the most beautiful children um, mm, that, yeah make such fantastic parents and I am livid and incensed and, and want to help and have many, many times in a lot of events. uh, I want to help because it is wrong for a family that is loving and kind to not be able to raise loving and kind children when there are so many children in need uh, of love and of a loving universe in general. So okay. to me, I empathize. You know, I, uh, I have a very <laughs> bizarre <laughs> up, uh, upbringing. I, my, the m- woman I was raised with was not my mother. It's a whole story. Uh, so I understand that not really knowing your parent thing and not having a loving parent necessarily. My father was a very talented songwriter. Not such the best dad, got to say. Love him as a songwriter. <laughs> so with, okay. I'll leave it at that. So when I, see, when I see fantastic parents that have to fight for their rights for their children or they have to move from one area of the country because it's safer to raise their children in a place where they won't be ostracized, I feel it too and i that's what i would say to the lgbtq plus communities it's we're in that same boat that we're fighting for our rights and to listen hey i've made an occasional faux pas where i've said a word that i thought was okay that wasn't and it certainly wasn't in my heart but i heard someone else say it in you know uh, i heard a gay friend say it and they're like, oh no honey that's like the n word like which is <laughs> the one i don't use i don't hey. use it i think for me, it's like, yeah, they use it or you don't, and I think you don't. Um, so, I mean, things like that, but things like that are trivial to me. They're just words. It's what you do with your actions. And so, nice. uh, in small ways, it's it's sharing groups on your social media, sharing ways uh, to help, and not just a quick little meme, but actually a link to something where people can take action. I think that is more important than anything, you're taking action action one simple Mm. petition that you signed the reason brianna taylor's murder is finally in the news is people and that's probably the most important thing is to keep it out there i posted something uh, on my instagram yesterday that was a whole list of actions that can be taken you know and if you're really feeling sassy call your congressman call your senator make an actual difference, organize something. At the very least, click a link and sign a petition.
1: There you go. Thank you for that. I I appreciate that. And (laughs) and we do all make missteps on both sides of the fence, for sure. That That is true. But I appreciate you kind of saying that and reaching out. We definitely all want to see this change. We can't let up. I mean, we can't make this be a a flavor of the month. It's got to continue on. I feel that the energy is still there. Said so I'm. I'm looking forward to seeing what my friends in Los Angeles do this week with combining uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, Christopher Street West Pride. We're gonna be doing the same right. thing here in Columbus, Ohio next weekend. Ourselves combining the two organizations. So I. I. We were founded the LGBT. Um, rights was founded on Black trans women. Um, we we have uh, big shoulders to stand on that we need to yes. um, pay back. And I. And think, let's
0: face it, y'all had to riot at Stonewall.
1: <laughs> there you go. You're right. And the Black Cat yes. in, in Silver Lake, which is not talked about yes. enough. But yeah. So it was done yes, in L.A. a year or two first. So yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's all of that all the above well debbie i could talk forever and we didn't get to talk about your music and you've done so much great things plus you've acted in one of dell's shows we need to have you come back and talk about your career because it's way too story and impressive to leave on the table but i just want to thank you for your words today it's been absolutely amazing having you on
0: Thank you. And I got to say, one of the reasons I started out in rock and roll and I switched over uh, because of a fantastic friend of mine uh, in 2003 that I met, uh, Andrew Briskin, who passed away from AIDS-related meningitis. And he was the reason I started a dance career. And because of him and the uh, the LGBTQ community, I have made a I've made such a, a so many friends uh, at pride events and your community has been fantastic to me so uh I'm I we're we're all in this boat together
1: It is a mutual love fest my dear I want you to give as we head out Give us a quick story, because the, the Waiting for a Lifetime is kind of an anthem you, you made for us. And people may not have recognized it was Leslie Jordan doing the intro to that. Talk about that for two seconds. And then I want to play out today with your tribute to your father's song, Put a Little Love in Your Heart, and kind of mm. give a little bit behind that. This is a live studio version. It's not the completed version. It's when you were with your band and kind of putting this together and giving your thoughts. Talk about both those things real quick before we play out here for waiting for a lifetime and then introducing, put a little love in your heart for me if you could.
0: Waiting for a lifetime was written uh, with and for uh, a fan who became a friend uh, who had waited, and I may have the number wrong, but I think it was 15 years to get married, Uh, and that just seems really wrong to me. So uh, I was able to get a huge group of my friends, every person in the video for waiting for a lifetime. I wrote it with my, my uh, brother from another Jeff Zedak. And so many people have been waiting for a lifetime to have their voices heard. And mm. uh, it's funny. The the words literally can just be shifted over to the black lives matter movement uh, at this point. And it was written Because those voices need to be heard and uh, I was able to get Del Shores and Leslie Jordan and a bunch of wonderful friends to lip sync along in the video and every color, every gender is represented and I am so proud of it if that's the biggest thing I do in my lifetime. I'm very happy with that. And I love that it went to number seven on Billboard, because that means a lot of people were listening to it and seeing those images. Um, and then put a little love in your heart. You were heart Zooming twice. when
1: Zooming wasn't cool three years ago or whatever. Right? You were, you were ahead of zoom, your time. Zoom. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's right. Um, and put a little love in your heart was, uh, I, I, for many years was not able to actually sing my father's songs. And so for me, it was really cathartic to sing those words. And now that I've recorded it two different ways, there's a a nice pop version you're about to play. And then there's a, a heavy version, um, that sounds like, how is she singing? Put a little love in your heart over that swampy vibe. Um, and I, I it, it's cathartic for me, and I've sung it all over the world. And it's um, really nice when you sing those lyrics and you look into people's eyes and they start singing along because the song is so well known. And it gives you hope because you see that people really do feel it, and they do want to put love in their heart. Sometimes you just gotta direct them in that, in that path.
1: And that is and wise words to play out on tonight. Debbie Holiday, it's been absolutely amazing. Let everyone know quickly where they can find you on social media.
0: Uh, Instagram, Facebook profile, and Facebook fan page. It's Debbie with a Y, Holiday one L. You just, you, know, you just look me up. There I am. And I'm because go. I'm home a lot. I'm very active now. <laughs> I'm, I'm all over my nice. social
1: media, much more than usual. So if you are right to me, I'll probably write back. All right, stand the line for me. We are going to play out with Debbie and her band playing Put a Little Love in Your Heart, written by her father. We'll be back next Monday with a brand-new musical episode with Brian, Justin Crum, and Brandon and James, both from America's Got Talent, on the show. You're listening to Left to Straight Show. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.
0: has been done so many times, so well by so many people. It's just more of a, you know, homage to my dad. Oddly enough, one of my favorite versions is uh, Dolly Parton's, because I mean she's such a phenomenal songwriter, and if she chose to sing it, that's just.